staff is Babakama Kuftet Zayin, Babakama 116. We're a little behind. We pick up on Kuftet Vava Mutbet, 115B, about 25 lines down, almost exactly in the middle. Line starts with the word Aleha, and uh, we're one word in, Bishlema. And our learning should be in the Ilili Nishmas, uh, my nephew, Maoz Morel, um, whose uh, Shiva's just wrapping up and uh, uh Died defending Am Yisrael and Medinat Yisrael. And it should really be the Ilui Nishmato Zechetzadik Livracha. Okay, so we begin with Bishlema, and the discussion here is when um, some, a barrel breaks or a uh, um, a picture breaks and the contents, the honey, the wine, the oil is going to waste. Uh, the Gemara has uh, quoted a, um, a, t- a bright that says that you can't make trumas maestros on it. It's basically considered hefter at that time when it's going to waste. And then it has to reconcile that with different sources that seem like it's not considered hefker. Our Mishnah that the honey um, of a barrel that's breaking still belongs to the owner. Another Mishnah uh, or another bright that you could go ahead and um, transfer when your person is uh, robbing you, transfer it to, to uh, the money that's being robbed, um, uh, the sanctity of Meister Shani, or um, another price of here that's, um, you can do t- Trumas Master that is Tamay, wine or oil, the only concern um, on stuff that is spilling out. And the only concern is whether it's a loss to the Kohen, um, and therefore the wine, which is Tamay, Truma, not much of a use, you can do it Lechatchila, the oil, which can be used for fuel, uh, that would be a loss to the Kohen to, tr- to uh, take Trumas Meister on Tamay oil that's uh, in the process of being spilled. So you shouldn't do it lechatchila, but b'diavad it works. But all those cases um, sounds like b'diavad it works, even though the stuff is so spilling out. So the Gemara explained all of them in cases where it's not really totally spilling out, and they maybe uh, could be saved. So either the barrels have uh, some type of a netting wrapped around it, so it's not uh, breaking right away um, and spilling out, and maybe there's some possibility of saving it. Um, the money that's being you're being that you're being robbed from, maybe even though it's being uh, like a highway bandit, there's a possibility of getting it back. And therefore, in all those cases, it's not Hefker. That's how the Gemara deals with those issues. Okay, now we continue with Bishlema. Bishlema shenish Barachazia. So I get, says the Gemara, in the case where it, the barrel broke, this is the case of Trumas Maser, that is Tamei, that, uh, you know, uh, if you, uh, the wine will still be, um, or the oil is still usable for something even after it broke, and therefore you can have uh, it works, or it works even by wine, um, because it still has some value. Ella niskalsa l'maychazia. But if it became revealed, then, um, you know, gilue, which is something by liquids, um, and then, you know, the Gemara saw that snakes could drink from it, and if it wasn't being watched, and uh, therefore it would become inedible and, un- and and totally useless. So if that's true, then how does that work, Bidiyevich? Shouldn't that be completely, like, unusable? Um, so, um, so l'maychazia, what good is that for? If you can use it for, uh, you know, for air freshener, which is what you would have used the Tame wine for anyway, because again, it's Tame Truma, so all you can you can't eat it, but you can use it for air freshener. So maybe you can do that even after Giloy. But we turn to the Bryce. So Mayim Shiniskalu, if you have water that were, was left uncovered, don't spill it in in the public domain, because somebody will walk on it barefoot, and maybe they'll have like a you know a a cut, and it'll go into their body, and the poison will go in. That's again what the Gemara thought. 
with a teeth and do not use it to mix it with like even with like a plaster because again maybe somehow some of that liquid will go into you know we'll get into somebody um you shouldn't use it to sprinkle on to settle the dust in a house all of these are like you know this is such a big concern about the poison here you have to be avoid getting in any possible type of contact with it don't feed it to your animal because there's a concern either it'll kill the animal or you'll eat the meat and it'll get into your body that way not your friend's animal so anyway obviously you shouldn't be able to use it for an air freshener you know some of that um, uh, vapor or whatever you know will uh, will touch your skin um, and uh, so so it's completely uh, valueless and therefore how could it become true smicer so the Gemara says the other labor misnenes you pass it through a type of a sieve okay misnenes was a uh, like like you you know you have it in one uh, cup above like sort of like you think like of a coffee filter sometimes they have like two you know two vessels one on top of the other and so it's in the top one and there's a screen at the bottom and it passes through so and that will separate out the poison that might be um, that might be in the wine Okay, so this would go like if you have this uh, sieve system set up, one cup on top of the other, passing through uh, a, a grate or a sieve, that is a problem of giloi uh, because we basically don't feel that the sieve will get out the poison. says, is true. Only if the bottom cup is exposed, then obviously the snake, the, uh, the snake could drink from that poison. If the bottom one is covered, even though the top one is is exposed, um, and the reason I should have said that you are doing this whole sieve thing is not is not it's not, uh, clearly here it's clear that you have this uh, contraption set up uh, even unrelated to the snake, and you're doing it because you want to purify the wine, you want to get out like all of the dregs of the wine. So anyway, this is a this is a type of a contraption you have set up to uh, you know to filter out the wine so if the snake is the bottom part of that contraption is exposed under below the filter obviously that's a problem of gilui but if the top part is exposed then the filter the same way it's filtering out the wine from you know great remnants will also filter it out from the poison if the bottom is covered even though the top is exposed it's not a problem of gilui of being exposed of being uncovered because this poison of a of snake is like a sponge. I'm not exactly sure what the analogy is. Vitzaf, something I guess lighter than liquid. Vitzaf, the omei bimkomo, and it stays at the top of the of the um, liquid, and it does not go to the bottom, and therefore it'll be filtered out with the uh, with the filter. Okay, so therefore that's why it's the, the wine has not become completely uh, valueless, and that's why the uh, you can redeem you can make it into trumas meiser. So the one says one minute. That's only if you did not like spill it, like you didn't actually take it and like uh, pour it out. But if you pour it out, you know, even through a sieve, it's a problem because the uh, the sort of the um, you know the the, the the velocity and the uh, the water pressure when you 
tore it out and uh, will will actually cause the poison to go through the sieve. So so no, here too, like you can do it in a meaning. It was saying it was only okay if you had it set up in a gradual way, you know, where it was slowly going through the sieve, not if it was going through with a lot of pressure. So and it's assuming that that. So the answer is okay. So set it up here. It's here too when it's sort of when it was with your, um, you know, uh, a picture of oil or of wine. Also, who says you have to do it with pressure? Do a similar setup, like you set up the normal misnenet system and do it soft and, you know, and, 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 and do it gradually. So you can put something on the mouth of the barrel to shove and you can sort of pour it out and pour it out slowly and don't pour it out with a lot of strength. Okay. Anyway, that's how the wine can still be usable. So um, now, of course, the question is, if it's if that's what you can do, then why shouldn't you do it if it's oil? And why, you know, what's the whole issue to begin with? And the answer basically is you can do it, but it's a pain in the neck. So, you know, to give that to the Kohen, where the Kohen then has to be very careful to not, you know, to pass it through the sieve and the whole type of a thing, right? That's why it's a problem by the oil, but again, by the wine, we're not so bothered. Okay. Um, because that's not of a high use. So now the Gemara says like this. Uh, according to Reb Nechemia, because Reb Nechemia just gave this answer about, you know, Reb Nechemia was the one who was used in terms of this issue of the sieve and the uh, and the problem of giloy, of the exposed wine. How can we say that that bright is going like Reb Nechemia? That bright uh, doesn't fit in with another teaching of Reb Nechemia. We have to invoke Reb Nechemia to explain how the wine is still usable. But it doesn't work with another teaching. Why? What is you can take truma tame on grain that's tame, and truma tahor on tahor. You can take truma tahor on grain that's tame. But you can't take from tame grain on tahor grain, obviously, because you, you know the kohen uh, is losing out. You're giving him something of lesser value than the grain itself. Even from tame to tame, you're not allowed to do, except in the case of tame. Otherwise, you always have to try to give the kohen truma tahora, even if your grain is tame. Um, you know, it's only allowed by demai, which is grain brought from an Amaretz, which has questionable, might be Trumas and Mises were already taken from it. So anyway, so the Gemara says, so if Reb Nechemia, if this idea of the wine, it's considered to still have value because it's going like Reb Nechemia about the sieve, then how come, the whole point is you're taking this Tomei wine that's spilling and you're and you're separating it as Truma on the remainder of the Tomei um, grain that you have in your house, but that doesn't work for Reb Nechemia. And of course, they're completely different positions, but the Gemara, you know, so you can just say it's different you know you, you hold like Reb Nechemia in one case not the other but the Gemara gives a different answer the Gemara says okay if you want all this to go like Reb Nechemia say that we're talking about Demai and Reb Nechemia agrees you can do Tameh and Tameh for Demai Okay, so we let you do this by the wine, even though it's now, you know, uh, dripping out or it's going to be, you're going to have to pass it through a, a sieve or whatever. We let you do it because it's not a big, uh, that's why, you know, we let you do it because it's not going to be a, a significant loss. Wine, 
Tommy Trumer wine is very it has very little use. But for Oreo, we don't let you to do it because that would be a significant loss to a Kohen uh, because it could be used for fuel. So the Gemara says, with Shemin Lo Yasekim, they have said Kohen. You can't do it because it'll be the loss to the Kohen. Ma'ashna Shemin, why is oil pro- like, uh, you know, problematic? To Royal Hadley, because the Kohen can use it, even though it's Tame, for to, to, for for um, for illumination. You can use it for his oil lamps. Yainami Royal Ziluf, wine can be used for uh, air freshener, for sprinkling, and you can use tummy wine for that, as long as it's not, doesn't have poison. Oh, you'll say, okay, but you know what? That's very, very little value. You know, air freshener, it's a tiny, t- tiny benefit. But uh, is that really true? Um, uh, you should be prepared to buy a load of wine for drinking purposes for one cellar, but if you're buying them for sprinkling purposes and air purpose, air freshener purposes, then you should get higher quality and you should be prepared to pay two slime. So it is actually, I mean, maybe only you only lose a little at a time, but it actually is a serious use and has some real value. So isn't that also an issue of Hefzid Kohen, if even in the case of the wine that's going to waste. So the Gemara says, it's new wine, and new wine doesn't do such a good job. It's not so aromatic of air freshening, so it's worth very little. So the Gemara says, okay, but one minute, new wine can become old. So it will have value, and it is, it is losing something out there of something of real value. So Gemara says, no, we wouldn't let the Kohen keep it around and let it get old. We would have, tell the Kohen he has to use it right away if you gave him new wine that was Tamei, because if he kept it around, uh, eventually he might, you know, for a long time. I mean, how much wine do you use at any time to just sprinkle in the air? Keeps around for a few years. He'll forget that it's Tamei, and he might come to drink from it. So we would demand that he use it right away, and therefore that type of wine has very little market value, and therefore we allow you to do it and we're not worried about the loss of the Kohen. So the Gemara says, Shem and Nami, Takala. One minute says the Gemara, but you don't use the oil right away. It takes the time to use the oil. So why aren't we afraid that you'll come to eat from it? The Gemara says, no. You put it in a, uh, you know, in a disgusting vessel. So you put it in something that, you know, because who cares? You're using it as a, for fuel. So you put it in something that would you would never want to eat from it after that. And it's very obvious. So there's no concern you might come to eat from it. And says, so why not do the same with the wine you're using for an air freshener? And therefore, you should be allowed to leave it around till it gets old. So the Mark gives the obvious answer. You want to use it for an air freshener because it's aromatic. You're not going to put it in some disgusting vessel. So because you want to going to keep it fresh and clean and aromatic, then you might come to use the wine. So the wine we would only allow you to use right away, um, but the oil um, you could take your time with because there's because you can make sure you don't come to eat from it. Now the Gemara says, last line, I'm kuftetz bet. The issue about a concern of coming to accidentally use from it, like with uh, Tommy Truma leaving it around, is a debate of Tanayim. Tanayim, we turn to you have a barrel of wine of Truma that became Tamei. Um, says, You have to spill it. We don't let you use it. We're afraid you'll come to eat from it. You can use it for air freshener. Okay, exactly this issue. 
so basically Pillow is a la- allows you to use it for air freshener. Um, presumably, if you start using it right away, given our earlier discussion, you don't hold it, hold on to it for a few years and then use it. Okay, but we don't know. Beitel didn't even say that. So Beitel and Beitel might disagree. Beitel, at least in you know, at least in some cases, um, in a standard case, is not concerned for for Takala. I'm Rabbi Shmuel. Rabbi Yossi said Rabbi Shmuel. Rabbi Yossi. I will like come. You know, I will sort of come to a compromise position, or I will weigh in favor here and come to a decision about this uh, about this debate. If the wine is in the house. Then you can use it for air freshener. You'll start using it right away, and we're not afraid that you'll come to eat from it. You'll remember that it's there for air freshener. But if it's out in the field, nobody wants air, needs air freshener out in the field. Then we don't demand that you spill it because by the time as you're schlepping it to the house, you know you might forget and have some of it on the way by the time you get around to bring it to the house and on the way. Okay. So some say he did the split in a different way based on the distinction that we. You just did. If it's old wine, then you can use it, but if it's new wine, you can't because we're afraid maybe that you won't, um, you know, you won't use it at all. Um, and if you, um, and um, if you go ahead and use it, um, you the new one if, if new if it's new therefore um, you know it doesn't it doesn't work so well it has very little value a tiny value as an air freshener so we don't let you that we demand that you spill it because we're afraid you'll leave it around until it gets old and at that stage um, you will um, at, by the time it gets old you will accidentally come to benefit from it so to eat it so that's a concern of takala but if it's old and you start using it right away we're not concerned okay like sort of the distinction we made before, okay? Um, and the Gemara says, Amrlo, so they said back to him, uh, well, I'm sorry, let's close the blind. Amrlo, they said back to him, Einachrash Lishis Machras. So Basil and Beishamai said back to him, you're a third opinion. You don't get to decide between us. Now, what does this mean? It sounds like a good middle position. It takes into concerns the issue about will it come to a Takala or not a Takala. It says it depends on certain cases. Some cases more likely to come to a Takala will rule like Beishamai. Other cases less likely to come to a Takala will rule like well, isn't that a good compromise position? So Rashi says the way you determine the logic, uh, the, way, the way something has a weight as like a third position that uh, that allows us to sort of come to a decision between the two combating ones by coming to some middle position um, is only when the first two positions recognize the logic of the distinction, even if they didn't weigh in favor of it. Meaning, if Beethoven had said, you know, you have to spill it out whether it's old. If Beitelma said you have to spill it out whether it's old or new. You have to spill it out whether it's in the field or in the home. And Beitelma Be- and, and said you can use it whether it's old or new. You can use it whether it's in the field or the home. That means that they sort of recognize these distinctions, but they still say we're going to be machmir or makil in all cases. And then comes along with Shmuel Reb Yossi, and he says some cases are possible like Beitelma, some cases are possible like Beitelma. In that type of a case, he is a middle position, and therefore we would go in favor of it. Whereas here, Beitel and Beitelma just said their stuff categorically. Um, they're not willing to consider other factors at all. One is just generally, I, I'm not concerned with it. The other is just, I am concerned with it. So to say, well, it depends on context is really a completely new approach. It's not an approach that partly recognizes Beit Hillel and partly recognizes Beit Shammai. Okay, so that's how Rashi explains that idea of, of Dach Lishit, of Rosh Lishit.
Okay, now we continue. Um, Finally, we're back to the Mishnah. If you, if, you, if you stipulate and say, fine, I'll save yours if you're willing to pay me for mine, then that is a binding agreement, and then he has to pay for the loss. Um, am I? This is in the case of spilling out my wine to save your honey. Why is that true? The name of Mishat Anibach. Why can't you tell you? Why can't the guy who said, fine, I'll pay you for your wine, um, then when the guy does it, why can't he say, yeah, I was just kidding. Like, I'm not going to pay you for your wine. I'm only going to pay you for your service. Now, the obvious uh, answer would be because you made the agreement that on the basis of the agreement, I was willing to actually spill out my wine. So, but let's take a look. The Gemara is asking the question because there's another case where you are able to say it. So it's really asking it just to make the, the distinction. Let's take a look. Milo, Tanya, do we not Somebody was running away from jail. And presumably it's like the non-Jewish jail, so, you know, he's a good guy. He's not a, a felon that you want to turn back in. And there was a, uh, like, a, a, a boat used for crossing, uh, crossing across a river that was right there on his side of the river. Amarlo told Dinar Vizhevi and he says, here, take $1,000 and, and, and help me, you know, get me across to the other side. And then he does it. So the halacha is, because this person running away from the Beit HaShem is a Talmud Chacham or whatever, eventually they go to a base din. And the halacha is, he only, ha- he only has to pay him for the normal cost of passing up, of bringing somebody to the other side of the river. So you see, he can say, oh, I was just kidding, you know. I'll give you a million dollars if you help me. Um, and at the end of the day, though, he just performed for him a normal service. Um, and therefore, how is that any different, you know, than our case? So the why in our case also, why don't you just pay him for the normal service? Why do you have to pay him the higher amount that was agreed? Now, the difference is obvious. So let's take a look. Um, so why here can't you just say, yeah, I was promising you a lot of money, but I was just exaggerating? So the Gemara says, hello, Damiel Safer. No, 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 no. Our case in the Mishnah is not similar to the first case of the of, of paying the guy to cross you over, the ferryman. It's similar to the second case. What's the second case? If you say, not just, I'll give you $1,000, I will pay you $1,000 for your fee, then you do have to pay him. What's the difference? So, okay, explain to me the logic of the difference. So the Gemara says, Let's say the guy was actually, so you could have said somehow the word is the difference. The circumstances are the same, you know, in terms of what this uh, ferryman was doing. But when you say, I'll give you $1,000, it's like, you know, that's just like as a reward. And that doesn't really obligate. When you say, I will pay it to you as your fee, a fee for services, you know, then that's the price that you stipulated on for the services. So that is what the Brighter sounds like. The difference is whether it's a fee or a reward. But the Gemara actually wants to make it more of a uh, substantial difference in terms of what the actual person was doing. So let's see what the Gemara says. The Gemara says... um, uh, that the ferryman was actually, you know, it wasn't just a ferryman, it wasn't even a ferryman, he was really, uh, you know, a fisherman. And he was there and he was catching fish. So, and he said, we'll say to you, you made me lose my fish with, uh, you know, the, I took the zoos and I was willing to sacrifice, you know, the fish I was going to catch. So basically, it, it, it turns this distinction exactly into our Mishnah. And the point is, 
is that if the guy is actually incurring a loss, um, then, and you agree to pay for that loss, for the opportunity cost, for the actual loss, I will pay you for your expenses, you know, then that is part of the agreement and then you are obligated to pay. If, however, he's not incurring a loss, even if you promise to give him more money, you are not obligated. So that's actually quite a big critic because you could have understood that if you promise a reward, you might not be obligated, but if you're promising an actual higher fee, you know, you would be, but the Gemara is here saying, no, like people don't have to pay more than the service was worth. But, you know, if the person was, was, but if there was a loss and it was agreed upon, then that obligates it. That's what it does with the case of the guy running out of the jail. You also, I think, wonder about what if the person is exposing himself to risk, right? Not like he's a fisherman and um, he's losing the income of fishing, but like he might get caught by, you know, the prison guards or by the government or so on. One would imagine that there also you could actually ask for a higher price. So what this means is, is that, you know, you can't have like, quote unquote, highway robbery. You know, you can't have exploitive price and taking advantage of somebody's bad situation. But if you are actually suffering a loss, and I would add exposing yourself to risk, then you could ask for, agree upon a price, and that would obligate. Okay. Now we do a similar case, except instead of honey and wine, it's two donkeys. One of them is, um, you know, is, uh, is, is worth 200, 100. You, you abandon yours and you go save the other one. The Gemara says, you need to tell me both cases. Um, just told me the case of the wine and honey. That's when you stipulate to be reimbursed for the, for the wine. He has to pay it. Because I actually actively spilled out my wine because you told me you would reimburse me. But here where I'm losing my donkey... And it's just letting it happen passively. So, um, you might say, even though you stipulated, you didn't actually, you know, expend or, or waste something on my say so. You just didn't actively go ahead and save your donkey. Maybe I don't know. I'm not obligated to reimburse even if I promised you. That was not a real direct expense. So, it teaches you, yes. Since that is a loss that I incurred, um, even in a passive way, and you agreed to reimburse me, you have to pay. He asked me to save, and if it had just told me the case about the donkey, that's when you didn't stipulate. You, that's when you need to stipulate. If you didn't stipulate, you wouldn't be able to, to, to charge for it. Because it the loss only happens passively. But in the wine and the honey, I might have thought that since I'm actively spilling my wine, even if you did not agree to pay for the loss, you have to, because that was a direct expense incurred through saving your honey, which makes a lot of sense. I think some of us might feel that that should be the case. Um, anyway, so, so you need both cases, that whether it's passive or active, um, if you don't make a stipulation, you don't pay for the expense, and if you do make a stipulation, you do. Fine. By about five lines from the wide lines. By Let's say you went to save to save the guy's donkey, and you saved the guy's donkey, um, and um, then your donkey actually managed to survive. So does he have to pay you what he stipulated? 
Yeah, yes, you had, you know, from heaven they had uh, compassion on you. Um, and you basically, you the guy agreed since you were going ahead and risking the loss. And, you know, you he agreed to pay you. He didn't say, if your donkey dies, you said, I will save yours if you give me, but I'm charging you the price of my donkey plus whatever other charges. And he agreed to it. So because of the risk and because you were incurring that risk or assumed loss, that agreed upon price was binding. And even though in the end you didn't suffer the risk, okay, you come out ahead. Um, okay. Like the case of Rav Safra, so he was going on a on, on like a caravan. Lila um, and a lion was accompanying them. Excuse me, and a lion was accompanying them. Okay, they had a trained lion there to guard the camp. Um, um, every day they would sort of send the donkey, uh, send the lion a donkey for for dinner. Um, and they would take turns, you know, each one would give a donkey each night. The Kostil and the outline would eat it. Kimata's money to Rafsafa, when Rafsafa's turn came, they sent it a donkey. The Lawachle didn't eat it. So Rafsafa went and he took possession of it. He said, okay, like, that was my donkey, and uh, I did my turn. I, I, you know, gave it. I don't have to now give my donkey the next night. I gave it this night. And um, and then he took possession, and we'll see why he had to take possession. Why did he just say it was still his donkey? But the basic point, though, being that he did what he was supposed to do. And it wasn't agreed that he would have to lose a donkey. He just said he had to give it for dinner. And therefore, he got a, he, he lucked out. So now Rav Achimidifti said to Ravina, why did he have to actually take repossession of it? It's true, he basically like was masculine, meaning he sort of gave up any ownership. He assumed that the lion was going to eat it. But he wasn't really saying this donkey is now ownerless, anybody can come and take it. He was doing it on the assumption the lion would eat it. But if the lion, for whatever reason, chose to not eat it, and sort of Tosis explained, it's not like it was assumed that it was definitely going to happen, okay? It was, you know, there was always a possibility it might not eat it. So he was not willing, he wasn't giving up ownership, even if the lion didn't eat it. So I'm yeah, it's true. He really still owned it, but you know he didn't want other people to say, "Hey, that's not fair," you know, and 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 we should be able to take possession of it. Let's all split the donkey or something. So therefore, he did it so that there should not be any question about it. But technically speaking, he never really gave up his ownership over it, and he also did not have to provide the donkey the next night because he did his obligation. So here too would be the same. Rashi sort of, you know, because he basically, they stipulated that's what has to be paid, and if at the end the thing didn't get washed away, then um, still that's the agreement we paid from it, and I just got lucky, and I just got lucky, the same way Ref Safra got lucky. Um, Rashi says in the case of the donkey that you would have to... You take possession of the donkey, um, but that's not so clear. It could have been that, uh, you know, like the Rav Safra case, that uh, he wasn't actually giving up his ownership um, of the donkey, um, and he automatically owns it, or he never lost owning it, in the case where his donkey survives uh, when he chased after the other donkey. However, um, it does seem that the scenario is one where that it would be expected that, you know, under normal circumstances, his donkey would be totally lost, 
And that's a principle the Gemara calls Avuda Mimen and we call Adam, so that actually would have rendered the donkey uh, Hefter, which is how Rashi understands it. So uh, the, so he would get his um, f- pay for saving uh, the other person's donkey, um, and he um, and then his donkey would be free for the taking, and if he sees it, then he would uh, get that as well. Okay, so now we uh, continue um, here, and we pick up with... Um, um, boy, me two lines again from the bottom. Boy, me Rav me Rebbe. So Rav asked Rebbe, Yared mahu. Let's say he went to save the donkey, the $200 donkey, and he didn't succeed in seeding it. Does he still get not only his fee for services, but also $100 for his lost donkey? Was he stipulating that for his attempt to save it, or was he stipulating that that's what he would have to be paid if he actually did save it? Amalo, so he said back, is that a question? You only get your fee, you know, for the effort, you'll get paid. But the idea that you had agreed and stipulated on a higher price, that was on the assumption that you actually you the higher price meaning to pay you back for your losses of your $100 donkey that actually was based on the assumption that you would succeed in getting his $200 donkey. It wasn't to give it your best try. It was to actually retrieve the donkey. Okay. Um, Ace fail. Challenge this. Hasochas Poel. Now uh, turning the page, look of Tetzan Macbeth. Somebody who hires a worker, to bring him um, cabbage and plums, for a sick person. For some reason, this was specifically something that was needed for this sick person. Um, and presumably, you had to pay him, an, you agreed on an extra you know, uh, fee because this was uh, hard, to, uh, hard to get. Uh, and then he went and he brought back the cabbage and plums. But when he came back, the sick person was already dead. Um, oh, she or he got better. One way or the other, he didn't need the cabbage or the plums. So, you have to give him the full payment, meaning even if you, though you agreed to pay him more because it was an extra effort to find these specific ingredients that were needed for the chola, um, and even though now it's, um, they're no longer needed, you still have to pay him the full stipulated upon price. Now, the obvious difference is clear. Um, it's true that in both of those cases, uh, you know, your efforts weren't needed, but in one case, you did what you were, t- you, you succeeded, in one case, you didn't, which is exactly Exactly what the Gemara says. me He said back, how can you compare them? In that case, you know, you brought back the cabbage and the plums. It just wasn't needed anymore. But you did exactly what you said for, so you get the price agreed upon. In our case, you did not do what you had agreed upon. You said you were actually going to retrieve the donkey. If you had said, I will make my best effort to get it and you'll agree to pay me for my lost donkey, then fine. But if you didn't say that, you know, um, and you said, I'll run after yours and you give me mine, then the presumption is, is that that means that you are being paid that extra for the loss of your donkey, not just for your efforts, but actually for your success. Okay, now we continue with issues relating to sort of stipulations. A caravan that was going in the wilderness and uh, troops came in order to uh, seize it, you know, to attack it and to, uh, um, and they had to pay a ransom in order to get out um, without being, uh, without being killed. So, so let's say the ransom was um, was a thousand dollars, and there were two people there, and one person's you know net worth or maybe the money carrying with him, et 
it's not exactly clear, was nine times the other. So that person who's had a higher net worth was carrying, you know, nine times as much money would pay $900 and the other person would pay $100, which makes sense because, you know, they are being attacked for their money. So therefore, um, when they have to be paid off and presumably if, you know, they had been robbed, they would have been robbed proportional to the amount of money they were carrying. So then when they are paying off, it is divided proportionally based on their wealth. Again, not exactly clear if it's based on the money they have with them on their net wealth. Um, okay. Um, now, let's say they hired a tour guide or, you know, a, a, a scout, rather, to go before them and to scout out the way and to make sure that they would survive the path through the desert and also not get attacked. So in that case, Mechashvin um, they also compute it based on the souls and not just based on the wealth because that scout is both protecting them from attack from bandit men and, you know, and highwaymen and also protecting them from uh, dying in the desert. So therefore, it's not exactly to tell you how you exactly figure it out, but let's say they agreed to pay him $100. Um, and let's use our case about, you know, nine, nine, one person has nine times as much wealth than the other. So maybe what you do is you take the first $50 and they each pay 25 and then you take the next $50 and that you divide and one person pays whatever, nine, you know, 90% of that and the other pays 10% of that. Okay, so that's how you do it because in that case the person is, is serving, is, you know, is doing an equal service to them in terms of protecting the light, their lives but an unequal service to them in terms of protecting their money. Uh, and all of that is if you didn't stipulate explicitly and if there is no uh, preset um, practice amongst the donkey drivers, amongst the people that like... Um, you know, or, uh, you know, or the scouts. Um, because if there is a, pre- a normal way in which it's divided, the bill is divided and you don't stipulate otherwise, then you would go by the normal practice. Similarly, uh, donkey uh, drivers can stipulate sort of like a union or a guild that if anybody loses their donkey, you know, in the normal course of business, that the other donkey drivers will uh, re- will, will give him another donkey, sort of like an insurance. Um, and we'll see in a minute, it might also been to their benefit as well. And once they make that stipulation, then they can force one another to, to live by it. Uh, now, uh, is a word that means with negligence. If there's now, even if they agreed to that, if the one person lost their donkey due to negligence, then they do not have to uh, uh, replace it. But if it was not due to negligence, then that then that would be their stipulation. They would have to replace it. Now let's say the guy who lost his donkey said, "You know what? My donkey is worth hundred dollars. Don't buy me another donkey. Just give me a hundred dollars. I'll be fine. And maybe then I'll continue to watch your donkeys." What it seems here now is that part of the reason that they would replace his donkey is that they would take turns watching the donkeys. And if you had your donkey amongst the group, you know, you had skin in the game, then you would be extra careful, make an extra effort to do a good job in terms of watching them. So it was partly self-interest that they would replace his donkey so that when it became his turn to watch, he would also have a vest, uh, you know, self-interest and do a good job. So if he says, just give me my money and I'll, I promise I'll watch it just as good, you don't do that. The deal was that we replaced Place your donkey. Pshita says, Gemari, obvious. 
Um, lo, we could be talking about that he has another donkey um, and he lost one of them. So I might think, look, he's watching the group of donkeys and he does have skin in the game because one of the donkeys is his. So maybe he can just pocket the other $100 and he doesn't have to buy another donkey with it. It's different when we're watching one of your donkeys and when you're watching two. The more skin you have in the game, the better you will watch it. So it is not paying somebody for their lost donkey. It is actually replacing their donkey. Tana Rabbanana, Rabbi's taught, So a boat was going in the sea and a big wave came in order and was going to, to you know, to, uh, to, um, uh, uh, to, 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 to drown it, what's the word, to, to, uh, Size it. Um, so, the Ikilumi Masa, sort of like a Yonah story, and they, you know, they threw off some of the load in order that it could survive this uh, these heavy sea conditions. So, what you do is you decide, you divide how much of the load to throw off based on the load that people is bringing on, not based on the value. So, if one person is bringing on boxes of sand and he has, you know, a thousand pounds and another person is bringing on, you know, I don't know, boxes of, um, let's say, plums, you know, that's worth a lot less. Uh, but, you know, I'm sorry, they might be worth a lot more, but they weigh a lot less. So, you don't say, you know, let's figure out, you know, how much money th- this guy's load is worth and how much money that guy is, and we'll throw off, you know, a bigger proportion to the guy who has more valuable load. No, you say, how much weight does this guy have, and how much weight does that guy have? This guy has ten times as much weight, so we tend to throw off ten times as much of his load than we throw off of the next guy's load. Okay? All that makes a lot of sense, because that's what's, what's sort of necessitating things to be thrown off. Um, now, um, and, but ultimately, if there's already a practice amongst, you know, sailors and amongst people that lead boats and, and captains, then you go by whatever the norm of the practice is. Similar to the donkeys, these also the, uh, you know, the captains or whatever the seafarers can agree that if anybody's, uh, um, uh, boat is sunk that they will replace the boat, presumably not the wares, but replace the boat. Avdolo, and similarly, Avdolo Bekusya Ema Medim, if it was lost with negligence, so they would not have to replace it. Shalo Bekusya, if it's not by negligence, Ma Medim, they would replace it low. Um, but if the guy took also his boat to a place, he took it more distant than the boats normally go, that would be considered negligence and they would not have to replace it. Okay, we'll end with this here and we'll uh, pick up tomorrow.